All right, here we go with another great edition of Inside EMS. I'm Chris. He's Kelly. This episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Pulsera. Learn more about how you can build a regional system of care for free at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. Now, I got to tell you, man, I think we got a really great show today, Kelly. You know, the part of the... The reason that I got into podcasting had something to do, a little bit to do with the with our next guest, and really kind of the the team that was kind of educating the next generation of EMS educators. And I was a avid listener of the EMS Educast and our own fearless leader, Greg Fries, our next guest, Rob Terrio, and Bill Toon really educated us on a regular basis of how we can take our education to the next level and kelly i gotta tell you that i gotta tell you that when it came to education they really were kind of on the cusp of podcasting and it really made me want to kind of get into the podcast world but one of the things that i think we want to talk about is uh, rob terrio is joining us and rob you have retired from the ambulance uh, after 35 years which is remarkable because you're only 42 years old and you have (laughs) been an educator for 18 years and I got to tell you, I, I want to welcome you to Inside EMS. I think this is your first visit with us. Yes, thanks, Chris. Uh, glad to be here. Yep, just just retired from the road after 35 years, but still teaching full time. Yeah. So, and you are you do live in Canada? I do, I do. You guys are welcome up here anytime. That's no right. walls. That's what well, we are talking. Kelly and I were talking before the show. Yeah. We may want to think about putting up a hedge on that yeah. northern border. Just, yeah, uh, you guys can pay for it. Yeah, okay. A well ma- a well manicured hedge makes it because those Canadians are so nice. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. But one of the things that we want to talk about today, Rob, and unfortunately you had an event, you had a STEMI in uh November and I thought it would really be good to kind of talk about that process of what it was like for you. I mean, because we deal with patients like this all the time, and I think getting some first hand knowledge of what you went through and then I think later in the show, we kind of talk about, from a paramedic side, what do we need to know about the patient? And then from the patient side, what do they need to know about the paramedics so we're able to communicate? But first off, maybe give us an overview about how this day started for you. Sure. Well, uh, first, I probably had it coming because I've been joking with my paramedic students for a few years now saying, I can't wait to have my first STEMI so I can get lots of copies of the cardiogram to show you guys. Um <laughs> So it was happening. The funny part is uh, this year, this fall, uh, I said to my students, uh, I'm just holding off on having my first STEMI because the local hospital here was building a percutaneous coronary intervention center. And it was billed, but they weren't accepting emergent patients. They were doing elective cases. So I said, I'm just holding off for a little while longer. I was being facetious, obviously. I, I, I didn't think I'd have a heart attack. Um, and uh, But it happened. And uh, um, so, yeah, it happened on November 13th, possibly November 12th. That's <laughs> a bit of a story in itself, you know, the onset of symptoms and then you... You go through denial and and then finally figure this is a little more serious than I thought and and uh, so I I went to the hospital uh, via ambulance on November thirteenth and uh, went to the local hospital and then uh, got transferred out to the PCI center the does emergent PCIs. What was it like being on the other side of the stretcher, Rob? Is that your first time? Uh, yeah, that was my first time in the stretcher. So uh, let me. Let me backtrack a little bit. So um, on the 12th, it, it, and 
I'm giving this for context because uh, uh, I had no question I had denial. Um, on the 12th, I'd had a bit of a big meal, some chili, and I felt some indigestion. I don't normally get indigestion, but it felt like a lump in my stomach. And I thought, you know, maybe this is uh, some reflux or maybe it's, you know, something, the food was bad or something. And, uh, but uh, it felt better when I belched and it felt better when I changed position. It kind of bugged me, you know, most of the evening, but it was like a, you know, on a discomfort level, maybe a one out of 10, occasionally a two out of 10, and then it would go away. And uh, so I went to bed. And at four o'clock in the morning, I woke up and it was a 10 out of 10. And it's not for me. I don't know what it's like for other people who have heart attacks, although I'm in the cardiac lab right now, or the, uh, sorry, I'm in the rehab, cardiac rehab right now. And I'm sort of questioning all, all the other people in rehab who've had bypass and, and uh, MIs about their, their experience. But uh, for me, uh, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. It was a 10 out of 10. And it's not like a broken leg, 10 out of 10, that excruciating pain that's in your head. It was just, it, it was a discomfort and it was in my abdomen and it was reached a level where I felt like I couldn't sit still. I felt really restless. And uh, when I woke up with it, I thought, is it in my chest? And I thought, maybe it's a little bit in my chest. And I'm trying to think, is it in one of my arms? And I wasn't really sure. So I was sort of, sort of thinking maybe, maybe not. But it was definitely really uncomfortable. But I didn't break out of sweat. I wasn't nauseated. I didn't feel any short of breath. Uh, it's still felt like a bad case of something in my stomach, but could be cardiac. So I'm not going to rule it out and I'm not going to be stupid about this. So I got out of bed and my wife said, are you all right? And I said, no, I don't think so. And uh, she said, do you want me to call for an ambulance? I said, uh, just give me a couple of minutes to think about it. I'm going to go downstairs and think about it. <laughs> and uh, I was so weak, I couldn't put my socks on. She had to help me put my socks on. And, it, you know, I knew I was going to go to the hospital. I just wasn't convinced this was cardiac. So I went downstairs because there was no way I was going to have the paramedics come upstairs and carry me down. Uh, and uh, so I went downstairs. I was in the front room. I was sitting there and my wife came down. She said, are you going to, are you going to, do you want me to drive here or are you going to call for an ambulance? And of course, in my head, I'm thinking, how many thousands of paramedics and nurses are going to give me a lecture if I go in my mm -hmm. personal car? So there's no way. So I said, I'm going to go by ambulance. Uh, I'm going to call right now. Can you move one of the cars out of the driveway? Because we had two cars in the driveway. Had to make room for them to get their stretcher in here. <laughs> right? So I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for the medics. That makes you a model patient right there. <laughs> well, I'm trying. You know, I said to myself, I'm going to be a good patient. I'm going to be a low-maintenance guy uh, for the medics, for the nurses, for everyone. That's been my goal in life, uh, you know, ever since I entered healthcare. So uh, I called 911. I lied. Uh, I said I have severe abdominal pain uh, because I didn't want to get a fire response. And uh, so they uh, said to the crew, I told them I was an off-duty paramedic, so I knew they would probably pass it along to the crew and the crew wouldn't dilly-dally, but they, uh, they got there really fast. Uh, one of the medics came in the door, and uh, I, I didn't hear the conversation between the paramedic and my wife, um, but I learned about a week later um, what, what had happened. She, she, the paramedic came to the door, and my uh, wife met her, and she, she says, my husband, his name is Rob Terrio, and she was, the, the paramedic was a former student of mine. 
So the student, <laughs> the paramedic apparently said to my wife, or said out loud, Rob Terrio, is this a test? And uh, so, so I, I was kind of out of it, so I missed, I didn't hear any of this, right? So, so she comes in, and uh, I said, uh, I said, look, I, I'm sorry, I lied to dispatch. I'm actually having chest pain, and she said, oh, Rob. And uh, so anyway, they did their thing, and uh, I, I said, look, uh, you don't need to bring the stretcher in here. I'm going to walk. So um, I walked all the way to the ambulance. Actually, I, I thought they would bring the what stretcher. Part, what part of paramedic school do they teach you to walk to the ambulance? Because I think I missed that, yeah. Rob. How many students have you told you don't make a chest pain patient walk? Or down the stairs. T tell me you didn't carry your wife down the stairs, too. I'm just curious. <laughs> so... I, you know, I think it should be part of the dispatch protocol that they just, you know, after they get all their information, they just say, can you make sure he's, he or she is uh, down on the ground level of the house? It's, it's funny hey, how uh, so many people, you know, you arrive at someone's house and uh, they greet you and they say, oh yeah, my, my husband was down here, but I sent him up to bed because he wasn't feeling very well. Like, Why did you send him upstairs? Hey, Rob, let me ask you a question, though. So I'm really curious about this. I would have left two cars in the driveway. I'll tell you why. Because I would have want the medics to know, hey, why are there two cars in the driveway and he needed an ambulance? But anyway, so, but the question, you said <laughs> with, something. I with thought, abdo pain, how with lame. A, exactly, right, right. But the question I have is, you said I didn't want them to bring the stretcher upstairs. I mean, so I'm just curious from a patient. just in the house, yeah. Or from a patient standpoint, why why didn't you stay upstairs? I mean, so what was the, the catalyst to make you say, I, I don't want them bringing the stretcher up here or having to carry me down the stairs? I mean, because those those are some of the things now that we have to think about because we yeah. often have these patients who are waiting for us outside or who don't want to uh, take the uh, stretcher to the ambulance or they don't want us to go upstairs to get them. What, what was your thinking behind that? Uh, I just didn't want them to lift me. <laughs> No other reason, you know, and uh, and I felt quite capable of walking downstairs. So uh, I wasn't. I wasn't, that wasn't very. You know, I mean, wasn't very exciting, uh, yeah. Rob. I know that wasn't a very exciting answer. Look, you know, uh, we have been to lots and lots of patients who've had MIs, and uh, I was just pretty relaxed about the whole thing because I knew sort of what to anticipate. I knew my my risk of sudden death was pretty low. I knew once I got the defib pads on me, if they were going to put defib pads on me, if if I went into arrest, they had like a ninety eight point nine percent chance of getting a return of spontaneous circulation. So I wasn't so I wasn't really worried, and I I didn't want them to uh, you know come upstairs and and there'd be stories floating around Canadian EMS about you know we had to carry Rob Terrio that fat son of a um, downstairs. Then he arrested on us. Jeez. So, uh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make uh, uh, their lives a little bit easier. So, did you did you go ahead and shave spots for the EKG? Yeah. <laughs> no, not if you were going to make it that. easier, you should have made it really easy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I shaved my chest for you before you got here. Yeah, yeah. No, in fact, uh, when I do a cardiogram with people, I rarely shave unless they got a really thick rug on their chest. Because uh, I, I trained as a cardiology technologist before I became a paramedic, and I, I consider myself uh, like a ninja of lead placement uh, on hairy chests. Um, and you know what? Uh, I, I, 
when I worked as a cardiac, I used to uh, put people on the treadmill and I, you would always recognize them when you go vacationing because they're the guys on the beach with the bald spots on the chest. So, so no, I didn't shave my chest. And I was, uh, when they were going to do a cardiogram on me in the back of the ambulance, they said, no, I don't think I need to shave my chest. And, uh, and they didn't because I don't have that much hair to begin with. So, right. so they were good. I showed them, you know, how, how to put, well, I didn't really show them. They, they did the cardiogram without shaving. Well, especially but, it, was, uh, it was one of your ex-students. So I'm sure they knew exactly yeah. how to do that. And I got to tell you, I mean, yeah. I think one of the things that I really want to dive into, I really want to try to think about, you know, the, the, you know, from the patient side, what is it that the paramedics need to know? And then from a paramedic side, what do they need to know about the patient's but before we do that, you know, I, I do want to take a quick break here. You know, we, we talk about things that revolutionize our business. You know, there are some great products out there, and Pulsera is one of them. And, you know, one of the things that Pulsera provides is, is a real-time communication network across entire regions, and it's free to EMS. The Pulsera platform, built on the power of mobile technology, unites the right clinicians at the right time for the right patient, providing transparency and streamlined communication. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build the team, and communicate using audio, video, instant messaging, data images, and key benchmarks. Any patient, any condition, every time. Oh, and did we mention that it's free to EMS? For more information, visit Pulsera.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMF. Rob, I'm, I'm interested in, in how did the, the paramedics comport themselves? Did they, uh, did they do you proud as, as being former students? Uh, you know, you set the stage for, for the typical eye-rolling call. Uh, uh, you know, it's an abdominal pain at 3 or, three or 4 o'clock in the morning. It's been going on since yesterday night. and. Uh, <laughs> You know, you were kind enough to meet them downstairs and, and move the, the vehicles out of the way. So um, was was the experience uh, uh, pleasant and reassuring for you? Well, pleasant yeah. would be a, 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 yeah. a pretty improper term, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, they were great. They were both amazing. And uh, one of them was a former student. The other paramedic I knew, actually, oddly enough, um, he and his wife and uh, my wife and I and my daughter, uh, we ran into each other at a at a farm a few years ago. We were all uh, uh, pumpkin picking. And uh, so I met him uh, a few years earlier and I, I remembered him. Uh, yeah, they were great. They were very professional. Um, uh, you know, a lot of former students of mine have said they, you know, worry about ever having to run into me because they might feel intimidated. And uh, But no, they were great. Uh, they were professional and um they, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons they probably weren't uh, rolling their eyes over abdominal pain is because um, the dispatch told them that it was an off-duty paramedic. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things I try to convey with my students is to always keep an open mind and uh, and uh, never never judge, uh, no matter what the, the, inf the call information is, and never assume uh, you're going to get uh, the patient as advertised because... You know, abdominal pains turn out to be chest pains, and chest pains turn out to be abdominal pains. It's just the, the nature of the business. But um, anyway, uh, so I, uh, 
I was, <laughs> they left the stretcher in the vehicle. I was a little disappointed they didn't at least bring the stretcher to my front porch, you know. So so I get out to the front porch thinking I'm going to just hop on that stretcher. It's in the back of the vehicle at the end of my driveway. Uh, so I walk all the way to the end of the driveway and I step in the air. I was thinking, you know, this is it. As I'm stepping up on the step, I'm going to die right here. Uh, but uh, but I got in there and I got, you know, uh, my, my thought in the back of the ambulance was like seeing my life through a GoPro camera looking at the ceiling and just that whole experience of being in an ambulance. But uh, interesting thing, little things that I learned. Uh, number one, the stretcher was actually more comfortable than I thought it would be. Um, you know, for years, I apologized to patients about, yeah, I know this is a narrow stretcher. Sorry, it's not very comfortable. And, uh, but it was pretty comfortable. Um, they were good. They were quick. They did things, you know, they started an IV. I barely even knew that I had an IV. They put put the uh, did a cardiogram on me without shaving my chest which I was grateful for and um, they did the 12 lady CG and uh, the paramedic who is uh, the lead paramedic um, looked at me and said uh, Rob do you want to have a look so I had a look and I didn't meet the criteria for a STEMI I was uh, just barely a millimeter in uh, v2 v3 like like it was a squinter I'm not even sure it was a millimeter really didn't quite meet the criteria. So I ended up going to the closest hospital, which was about uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes away. After an hour in the eMERGE, my, uh, my uh, ST segments had come up and my troponin levels were up. And so I ended up getting uh, transferred down to uh, uh, the PCI center, which was about uh, 45 minutes away. So, uh, so yeah, it was interesting. The other thing I learned was uh, uh, pulse oximeter probes are, are really uncomfortable. And uh, when I think back now, uh, you know, I always used to tell people, uh, patients, you know, they'd say, this thing is really bothering my finger. Can I take it off? And my response was always, yeah, I know it's really uncomfortable. I'm really sorry, but uh, really important to keep it on. Uh, I don't know why I never said, let's just put it on a different finger. I think I might have said that once or twice. But uh, in retrospect, I would have said it a lot more often. So, yeah. uh, And, you know, four four days between. Hello, princess. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, what are you saying? <laughs> so, four days. Come on. You're asking for the patient perspective. I'm telling you, it's not comfortable. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, my finger was going gangrenous. So, uh, yeah. So, two ambulance rides, two hospitals, several oximeter probes. Some feel just fine. Some feel like, you know, you've got a tourniquet on the tip of your finger. So, uh, I didn't complain about it. I just, you know, moved it from one finger to another, both sure. in the ambulance and then hospitals, no big deal. So, yeah, I mean, you're so, gonna, yeah, so, you're just kind of treating yourself as you go along. So, yeah, I mean, you yeah, should exactly. I'm surprised exactly. you didn't start your own IV, but I know I, th- you know, I thought about that. Yeah. But, can um, I, can I help with that? Let me go ahead and hold this for you. But, you know, so one of the, yeah, I, I think you're doing a great job, Rob, of kind of outlining for us what, what it's like from the patient side. But now, you know, as you think about, you as an educator and having experienced this, what's the one thing that you put your finger on that you tell the paramedic students from the patient's side that this is the main thing you have to be aware of? Oh boy. Uh, that's a tough one from my perspective because, for, or from my experience, because uh, the medics did everything according to, you know, Hoyle, they, everything was done uh, quickly, efficiently. They that nothing was missed. Um, you know, assessments were thorough but quick. Uh, so I have no complaints in that respect. The, you know, the only thing I w- might say is uh, listen to the patient. 
you know, the little things I learned, like I'm, the pulse oximeter, the, you know, the hydraulic stretchers, the top level, it's too high. You feel like you're sliding off the end and, uh, and you feel like you're going to tip over. So, uh, you know, one crew had me up at the top level and I said, you know, can you drop me down a level or so? And uh, so that was good. No, you know, uh, I was very proud of um, uh, the, Actually, the paramedic crew took me from the local hospital to the PCI center. Uh, one of their, uh, one of those paramedics was a former student of mine. So the guy who was in the back of the ambulance with me was a former student of mine. And uh, when they transferred me back from the PCI center to my own hospital, uh, the attendant who looked after me, her husband was a paramedic student of mine. So it's like the entire community was, uh, you know, went to Georgian College at one time or another. Uh, but uh, no, they. They did everything according to protocol, and uh, they were polite. They were empathetic. They were, you know, I I, I can't say uh, uh, there's anything I would suggest other than, you know, just, you know, if the patient asks you for something, you know, try to accommodate them if you can. That's got to be one of the most gratifying things, if there is anything gratifying oh, about yeah. being patient, is, yeah. is knowing that the people that you train in the in – the, uh, the system you've contributed so much to is, is acquitting themselves well uh, yeah. out there on, on, on the streets. <laughs> Unlike yeah. you know, some places I've been uh, and, you know, you, you ponder maybe calling for the ambulance and then you go through that mental roster in your head and go, wait a minute, who's on duty today? Yes. No, I think I'll drive yes. myself. Well, yeah, I, I can, yeah, there are a couple of people I can think of who I, you know, wouldn't have been too thrilled about had they um, arrived at my house, but you know, I would have just kept my mouth shut and hoped for the best. And, you know, if they missed something, I would have said, uh, yeah, I need some ASA right now. Yeah. Um, how about a nitro, guys? You know? <laughs> uh, but it's funny, in terms of pain management, so, you know, uh, it was a fairly short trip. I got ASA, I've got, uh, I got two nitro, and after two nitro, it wasn't doing anything. And uh, the medic was going to give me a third nitro. And I just, I mean, this is where I became not maybe not such a good patient. I said, yeah, don't bother. It's not doing anything for me. Uh, and when I got to the eMERGE, they gave me uh, uh, three doses of morphine, you know, two milligram doses, little tiny doses. But after six milligrams, it, it didn't touch me at all, um, my discomfort. And I didn't, there was something about the morphine that I didn't like. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I just felt a little uncomfortable. I can't quite describe. You know, some people say they get morphine and they they feel drowsy or they feel. I I don't, can't even explain what I felt. But after three three doses, total of six milligrams, it didn't do anything for me. So I said, Yeah, don't bother giving me any more. So so to the trip to the PCI center, uh, no nitro, no morphine. And, you know, I was okay. I was fine. I wasn't worried. Wasn't even the slightest bit worried just because I've transported so many hundreds of STEMI patients. And um, so, yeah, so we get to the PCI center. Everything was good. I went into the little PCI unit and uh, a nurse practitioner came in and said, uh, it's going to be about uh, 45 minutes or someone else in the, in the suite right now. And then I got annoyed uh, thinking, buddy, get out of that suite. I need to get in there. Like, yeah. time is myocardium here. <laughs> like, yeah. like, everything was good up until that point. Everything's moving along pretty quickly, and then they got somebody in the suite. It's like, what? Come on. Press, you know? You're going to get a rough press review out of this, pal. That's so, right. 
it's anyway uh so uh they got rid of this guy uh a little quicker and i was in the suite in uh 30 minutes instead of 45 minutes which is good you know i'm thinking okay okay things are moving along and the doc uh really nice guy i said to him uh i'm uh i'm a paramedic and um would you mind talking me through this whole thing, like, tell me what you're doing and what you're seeing. I, I'd be really grateful. Um, cause I, I wanted to know, you know, I, I wanted to know what my vessels look like and how narrow they were <laughs> and how the rest of it. So, uh, they, um, they put the cath in through my wrist, which was nice. They went through the procedure. Now they started, uh, they said, we're going to give you some, uh, something for pain. And I said, well, I got morphine. It, you know, didn't do anything for me, so I don't, you know, I don't know that you need to bother. And they said, well, we don't give morphine. We're going to give you fentanyl. And I thought, okay, fentanyl, you know. I've given, you know, probably a thousand patients fentanyl. I wouldn't mind trying this drug. Let's, let's do this, you know. And I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm getting a little restless. And um, so they gave me fentanyl. They gave me uh, 125 mics, nothing, just nothing, uh, no relief. Yeah, I didn't feel anything. Didn't feel, you know. No out-of-body experiences, no, nothing at all whatsoever. So, uh, you know, if I ever break a leg or something and they offer me fentanyl, I'll, I'll, I'll take it because maybe it'll be a different experience with a different kind of discomfort, but it did nothing for me. So I learned some uh, really interesting and somewhat disturbing things when they were doing the, the angioplasty. Of course, they, they always check the good vessels first, right? So they checked my RCA, and my right coronary artery was clear, uh, but they he told me, you have a really short RCA. And I said, oh, okay, interesting. Uh, and then the LAD was 100% occluded. It was proximal LAD occlusion. And um, so they ballooned that. They put a stent in. I had a, a near occlusion, about mid-LAD, but they couldn't put a stent in because my LAD took a bit of a hairpin turn and uh, so they uh, ballooned it uh, but weren't able to put a, a stent in the left anterior descending coronary artery and um, so I, I learned that um, my LAD uh, feeds my um, inferior left ventricle and uh, it, it goes quite a long ways so um, odd. that was interesting yeah, yeah that is, so. is kind of weird yeah, it is kind of weird. So uh, some of the supply to my inferior left ventricle was circumflex, which is not uncommon. It's about 10% of the population. Um, when you see patients with inferior lateral wall MIs, uh, you know, they got ST elevation in 2-3 AVF and in V5, V6, 1 and AVL. Uh, those are patients who are left dominant and uh, their inferior wall is fed by their circumflex typically. That was interesting and somewhat frightening as I thought about it over the ensuing days because I thought but if my uh, LAD feeds my uh, anterior part of my lateral, part of my inferior, my posterior, if I ever in the future occlude my left main coronary artery, uh, that's it. I'm I'm dead. Like Although, I'm finished. Don't think that way, Rob. I mean, we're so we're so happy that uh, <laughs> well, you know, that things work out. This would be a whole different show if you weren't on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just being realistic, right? Like a couple of months later, I met with my cardiologist and I had this discussion about my uh, left main coronary artery. And I said, you know, uh, given my odd cardiac anatomy, coronary anatomy, should I get a stent put in my left main coronary artery prophylactically? And he said, no, 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 no. Your, your, your own tissue is far superior. So anyway, that was just, it was just kind of an inter interesting discovery for, for me in the whole process. 
You know, Rob, I got to tell you, I mean, we're, we're so glad you're okay. And, you know, I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. Again, you know, we kind of talked about the Educast when we first kicked off, you. you know, and, and the work that you and Greg and Bill did for all those years, you know. And one of the things that I would do when I was teaching instructor methodology is I was looking for things for them to teach. I would have them go and listen to the Educast, and then they would have to come in and give a speech on what they've just heard and what they learned. And, you know, it's just, you know, uh, such a great show. And you guys put it to bed, you know, a few years back. But the archives are still there. You know, you're able to listen to the shows. And, you know, for the people that are out there, if you want to, you know, hear some great educators talk about, you know, EMS education and and some of the things that they really kind of came up with. I mean, how many shows were there, Rob? Well, it was 2009 to 2013, and we did the shows weekly. So, um, you know, that's... Almost, yeah, 200, 300 shows. Yeah, do the math. Yeah, so it's been quite a bit then, yeah. And, and uh, yeah. But it was a great show. And uh, But I want to thank you for coming on. And Kelly, it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, uh, Rob makes it sound so good. It makes you want to go out and get one, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah when you told me we'd have Rob on the show and that he'd had a, a STEMI, I was like, no, no. You know, because yeah. you know, we've been interacting with Rob online for, for what, close yeah. to 15, 20 years now. And I said, no, Rob Terry was like 30-something years old. <laughs> I wish <laughs> that that's still the image I have in my mind, but I think it's an, an interesting case study in, in empathy and, and seeing what, what the, the situation is like from the other side of the stretcher. But Rob, thanks for coming on the show, man. Okay. And, and Pleasure. It's a, a great story. And, uh, I think it's, uh, very instructive to our listeners. Uh, but that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. What are your tales from the other side of the stretcher? Have you ever been a patient? on an ambulance cared for by your co-workers. We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, our special guest this week, Rob Terrio, and our sponsor, Pulsera. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>